Welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. On today's Healing 101 episode, we are joined by Rebecca Solodovnik, the founder of Mind Free Me. With over two decades of experience working with individuals, Rebecca is dedicated to helping people gain insight into their struggles, explore solutions, and to regain control of their lives. Her approach is grounded in compassion and expertise, incorporating various therapeutic techniques such as EMDR, IFS, EFT, ACT, and mindfulness-based CBT all of which we will explore and discuss in this episode. During our conversation, we delve into the complex world of anxiety. Rebecca provides valuable insights into the definition of anxiety and when seeking professional help becomes essential. We explore the most effective forms of therapy for treating anxiety and address the misuse of the term in our society. Rebecca offers a realistic perspective on the possibility of healing from anxiety and discusses the factors contributing to its prevalence in today's world. Rebecca also delves into the role of the inner child within anxiety disorders and how to heal related issues. To conclude, Rebecca leaves us with valuable tips for those struggling with anxiety. So how would you define anxiety and at what point do you think someone should seek professional help for it? I'm going to use Rebecca lingo. We're going to simplify it. And so basically anxiety is generally when you are having negative thoughts, usually not positive. It's more negative, maybe irrational, maybe beliefs about the future. Anxiety a lot of times has to do with things that haven't happened but might happen. So thoughts, then emotions after that, that can be sadness, fear, anger, followed by behavior subsequently. So the formula is thoughts, arrow emotions, arrow behaviors. And behaviors could be crying without understanding why or nonstop, or I would call it dysregulated behavior, whether that's anger, whether that's the fear, whether that's sadness, whatever it is. You feel like what I like to say is you're no longer behind the wheel driving the car. You might be in the back seat, or worse, you might be in the trunk. And this is also paired with physiological sensations. And so sometimes people will feel heart racing or palpitations, muscle tension, shortness of breath. I'm putting my hand on my chest because that's where a lot of people feel it, but certainly there's other places, but your body is also speaking. And then what happens is if imagine that's happening in your body, I don't have to imagine, right? I've had it. And so then your mind is talking to your body, you're not always invited to that conversation. And your body asks your mind, are we in danger? Is something going on? And your mind is like, yes, absolutely. It's definitely like that last time when we were in danger. And so time to shut down or avoid or dysregulate. And so this is all going on and some people go into a loop. So when you feel the physiological sensations, the ones I described are pretty scary and they can happen at any time. Or sometimes you feel them happening, but we learn to ignore our body sensations. Imagine you're feeling all of that in your body, 
And then your mind begins to race because of that. Like, oh my God, I'm feeling this in my body. Am I having a heart attack? Is something wrong? Am I in danger? And so the mind starts spinning and then you're in an anxiety loop. Thoughts, arrow emotions, arrow behaviors paired with physiological. Yeah. And I think that's the crippling thing about anxiety is that, as you say, so much of it is physiological and it's like a perpetual circle, as you allude to. And it's just one keeps fueling the other and your body is constantly in this fight or flight mode. And so it's very, very hard to step off that hamster wheel. And I think actually people who haven't suffered with anxiety really underestimate quite how paralyzing it can be. Absolutely. It's terrifying. Anxiety could happen at any moment. And like I said, some people, I do work with them to somatically start to have a a better relationship with their body, start listening, start hearing what their body is saying. Some people feel it coming on and other people have no clue what's happening. It just completely derails you. And then there's also panic attacks. So we can add the, the doom or feeling like you're having a heart attack. It's really scary. Absolutely. It is. And I think it's unfortunate that in today's society, anxiety is so often misused and it is abused as a term because I think now so many people say, oh, yeah, I suffer from anxiety. Oh, yeah, I'm really anxious. And actually, there's a huge, huge difference between suffering with anxiety and from feeling a bit anxious and for that to be an occasional thing. And as we've said, it is at that point where, you know, it really is disabling. And I think sometimes we have to accept that as humans, we have to have a small amount of anxiety to give us that drive and that get up and go. And I think that can be really useful in some capacities, but it's when it tips over the edge and it becomes something that is a real hindrance where it becomes a problem that needs to be managed. So what do you think we need to do to make people aware of that fine line? And and what would you say is a sign that you've crossed that line, as it were, into the red dangerous zone? So you're absolutely right. And look, I, I think social media is a wonderful thing, but also there's so much on it. And there's everyone's opinion and experiences and people are allowed to have that. And I think that either people are maybe experiencing something similar and then to your point, misusing. I'm not exactly sure, but there are definitions for anxiety. I agree with you. There's normal anxiety, normal anxiousness normal physiological sensations, right? And I don't want to call that healthy. I want to call it normal. It's normal, right? And so if you're going into a presentation, let's use me. I was feeling it before I came on this this podcast. What is this going to look like? I'm an older lady. Uh, Do I even know how what podcasts are about? What are the questions going to be? Am I going to do okay? And I felt some things in my body, Usually I feel them in my tummy. Some people feel them in their chest, but I felt it. And so that's normal. What I didn't do is attach a balloon to it that told me you're going to fail at this. That's why you're failing this. You should just stop. You should email Pandora and say, you can't do it. Something's come up. And then I don't do it. And then what happens is I sit all day thinking, wow, I kind of feel like a failure right? And that's what happens when it's, to your earlier word, like a crippling, or when we move towards when to seek help. This is more in a disorder category. When it's preventing us, when we can't move past it, when if we think of a scale of one to 10, an emotion level, we're way past a four or five, we're in our limbic system. 
we're just like all emotion. We're not aware. We can't be present with ourselves. And it's, it begins impacting our life. Look at social anxiety. If it's so crippling, you're going to isolate. Then you begin isolating and then you feel very alone and you're, and you're in that circle. If someone listening to this has determined they are to the point where these physiological sensations, emotions, and thoughts are preventing them from doing things and experiencing things in life, that is time to get help for it. And again, I want to normalize it. You can get help for it. It can get better. And there are quite a number of people who struggle with that. And I also want to normalize normal anxiousness, normal worry as well, right? We need some of that cortisol and adrenaline sometimes. Like I'm going to go back to my college days. Oh my God, I decided to party instead of studying for this. And now I'm staying up all night in the cafeteria. I need a bit of that cortisol and adrenaline to get me through and to get it going, right? And so, yes, some of that is normal and we need it. We just don't want to live in it because living in our nervous system and having that cortisol and adrenaline running through us is not healthy and will we'll have a long-term impact on the body as well. Yeah, and I mean, so much research is now going into how actually chronic health issues, which aren't necessarily directly correlated with mental health are actually responsible for reducing people's lifespans and a lot of that stems from having things like anxiety depression ptsd i mean the latest research i think states that it's roughly about 10 to 15 years that someone's life expectancy can be reduced by if they suffer with a, a serious mental health issue which is quite terrifying and i don't think it does anything to help the likes of me that's sitting there listening to these statistics thinking great well uh, i'm gonna die probably 15 years before any of my friends but no i think one has to be aware of of the long-term impact and it can lead to chronic health issues it's no doubt about it i think in the past Mental health has any, it's just, well, number one, there's been a stigma and shame around it. And number two, the same awareness, even though there are doctors like Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote The Body Keeps the Score, which is a great book to understand those connections. But there's so many other people out there who are, it's very evidence-based to your, to your point. The good news is there's science, there's medical things that are happening now like as so basically what i'm saying is you're sitting there and telling me i can't help but think about this yes i believe that there's an absolute connection when you're living in your nervous system since you were a child because of events that happened because of foundations that happened because of learned behavior or genetics it's to what i earlier said about cortisol and adrenaline and all those things you don't want to live in you don't want to rent out space or buy an apartment in that area you want to visit and get out, right? But not everyone has that luxury. In fact, a lot of people don't. So again, good news for you and for anyone else thinking this like, oh my God, I've just lost 15 years of my life is we're in almost 2024. There's medical procedures. Therapy is becoming less of a stigma. There are ways to manage and to prevent and in some cases, reverse. I'm not saying you can reverse diabetes or heart disease or things like that, but you can definitely get on top of it now and manage it. Yeah, and no, that's really lovely to hear because I think sometimes we do need those positive messages because there's this very fine balance in society at the moment where we are over pathologizing, I think, in terms of mental health, but then we're also dooms that sort of doom and gloom 
mindset of thinking, oh my God, we're all destined to have all these chronic health issues because we're all basically suffering with poor mental health and the stress that we're all under. And there does need to be a message of hope in there. And I'm hoping that by educating people on this podcast, that's what we're trying to give people the tools to realize is that there are so many different ways. And um, we had Camilla Nord, who's a researcher at Cambridge, and and she's written a book called The Balanced Brain. And, and she was saying, you know, you just can't give up. You've just got to keep trying. And I'm definitely a victim of this. You know, I tried and I tried in my teens and my 20s. And it wasn't really until 2021 that I found something that really started to help. And that's only two years ago. So as you say, there is something out there that, and there are things, there are multiple things and there are advances that are being made. So one mustn't give up. And it's really important to keep the hope up. Absolutely. Uh, The Balanced Brain is a phenomenal book. I highly recommend it as well. And it really speaks to what our minds are capable of, which is why there, there are modalities like cognitive behavioral therapy and such, where we are trying to rewire. And rewire is an important word. Synapses and creating new ones is important for us to understand. And this can all be looked up online and read. And again, this is a great book that you mentioned. People can rewire until their last breath. I have clients between 18 and 85 that are rewiring. You have to believe in it. You have to get educated at it and want to do it. And absolutely, this can help your mind and body do work so closely together. What forms of therapy would you say are the most effective in terms of treating anxiety? I have found in my practice and in other practices, cognitive behavioral therapy, because again, when we think back to that formula of thoughts, emotions, behaviors, and then physiological sensations subsequently, cognitive behavioral therapy, just like the word says, really targets that. But I also, in my practice, believe in integrating that with internal family systems, which deals with our different parts, as well as our inner child, and psychotherapy combined, and this is very important, with mindfulness. So really, you could say MCBT, mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy. So the mindfulness piece is learning how to not live in our nervous system how to de-escalate, how to get out of there, how to activate our vagus nerve, B-H-E-U-S. For those thinking it's the slot machine place, it's not, <laughs> although maybe that's that's good too. I would say that this is what I have seen used. This is what h- how I like to integrate because I believe that the thoughts, subsequent emotions, and then physical sensations and behaviors, they stem from somewhere. They stem from triggers. They stem from experiences. They stem from parts of our brain that remember things, remember and define what danger means to us. And we can't define that for someone. Danger could be something that seems so simple for someone. And for someone else, they are feeling like they are having a threat response to your point, fight, flight, freeze, fawn. And so I do like to get to the root of that as well and understand that. I don't want to dig and re-traumatize, but sometimes we, we really need to understand how they're connected to move forward. And finally, acceptance. And that, you know, ties into self-realization, but we really, you know, there's a lot of criticism in people's past. We live in societies that have judgment and criticism, or at least we have told ourselves that we will be criticized by doing this. You know, people come to me and they're feeling shame or embarrassment 
or whatever it is. And so these maladaptive coping mechanisms come out. And so part of the journey, and I can't stress enough, is learning how to accept oneself. And that's a really hard part. And I'm sorry, I missed one super important one with acceptance, dialectical behavioral therapy, DBT. And that's about, it's not an and or, which is anxiety's playground, the black and white, as you know. It's about and both. All of these things can exist together and go to the same park and sit on the same bench and learning how to rewire that way. Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast. Brown Advisory, a global investment management firm, is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world. A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. I would like to ask, do you think it is ever possible to heal fully from anxiety? Or do you think that someone who has that propensity to be anxious is just always going to be anxious and it's just something that you have to manage? I think it is possible to get to a point where there is a knee jerk to something, but it doesn't last long and it doesn't make an impact. Meaning it is possible for one to live the rest of their life being aware that this is my trigger. I may feel a little something, but I understand what that is. I'm aware of it. I'm not going to give it power. I know it's going to pass. Learning that those feelings don't mean you're in danger. And so it is possible to experience that, be aware of it, realize it's going to be okay and it will pass, realize it's not real. For those situations where it's not real, I want to be clear. I don't want to invalidate anybody. And then move on. And some circumstances will be more triggering than others. Not everything is going to be that easy. I've seen clients for years, some, you know, on and off, and they'll come back and they'll say, I've slid back. It's over. I'm like, nothing's over. Let's talk about that. Let's explore that. Let's unpack it. But what's happened is that when there's, let's say, four life transitions going on or one life transition and a war going on. We have to also realize that some situations for someone who has a history or foundation or something that's DNA related as well as learned behaviors and nurture and nature, they may still get triggered, but you deal with the trigger differently. You're still in the driver's seat. You're still driving. You're still okay. And if that's where it lands, that makes you human. That's why acceptance of all of this is so important as well. And so I don't want to sit here and say, hey, it can never go away. I'm not doing uh, experiments on this. I read. I'm using myself as an example as well, as well as clients. But I think if that's what life looks like, you could live a very healthy, manageable life. Why do you think we are just like suffering from this sort of endemic of anxiety? I mean, it's just so pervasive at the moment. And I'm curious as to what you think is behind it. Look, I want to be clear that just to normalize it, there's quite a large percentage of people who have this who may not realize it. Maybe it hasn't been as exacerbated or hasn't been in their driver's seat, but we've had a pandemic. We've had race relations. We've had polarizing situations globally. You know, I could speak to UK or I could speak to US, but there has been macro level things that have gone on. 
and continue to, by the way. That, I think, combined with social media. Now, I want to be clear. I love social media. I think it's an amazing platform. But I can't help but think, because I've really been thinking about this and reading about this, that in as great as it is, it's also a lot of exposure to so much. I'm seeing young adults who are experiencing anxiety over things and needing to actually pause from school and go home, take a break. The numbers seem to be higher than they were before. And so naturally you look at what exists now, what didn't exist before. It's again, a beautiful thing, but I can't help but think that it has also had some impact and it's, you know, very quick and instant. And, you know, there's things that it does to uh, the brain as well. And so I just think things happening in the world combined with the social media aspect of it, right? So much exposure coming at you. And so that's kind of been my thought. Um, But again, I want to be clear, I'm not against social media. These are just some of the things I've been thinking about because I do agree with you. I've seen a rise in anxiety. And finally, it's being talked about more. It's kind of like when, when people say, well, why does everyone have ADHD now? Well, I don't think they have it now. I think people had this. I don't think it was discussed. I think it was dismissed a lot, definitely dismissed for certain marginalized groups, but dismissed quite often. Now there's people like you coming out and saying, hey, I have this too, and I'm high functioning, and I'm okay. And so it's out there. It's more. There's transparency around it, and people are normalizing it. You know, the first things I check in with my clients on is because I work holistically. So what that means for me is that what you're putting in your body by way of food and liquids, how much sleep you are getting, how much movement you're getting, and your community and connection. Do you, for each client, so you start with the basics. So yeah, diet, sleep, exercise, connection. And then does your method tend to evolve around the person and and what they want to work on or what you identify as being something they need to work on? Or do you follow a fairly prescribed model for each one of your clients? In some ways it's prescribed because, you know, earlier I said that I do connect past and triggers to present, but it it is unique for each client. Um, I also do EMDR. I work with EMDR. I work with trauma. There's cognitive processing therapy. Sometimes someone just needs to talk to someone and maybe grieve. And grief isn't just a loss. It's a, it could be a transitional grief. And so I will tell them that the first several sessions, I'm getting to know them. I'm asking questions. I'm actively listening. And then I will ask about their goals. That's very important. You always want to circle back to that and show someone how much progress they're making. And then you want to tailor a treatment plan to them. And that plan can shift and change just like people shift and change. So in some ways it's bespoke. In other ways, there there are buckets. There's a bit of a formula, but because I, I integrate different things. And if it's something I don't do, for example, I work with OCD related to anxiety. A lot of times I will refer out and that's why it's important to partner with therapists that you trust and have relationships with. So it just depends. Yeah. But more bespoke than anything to answer your question. And do you see adolescents or do you focus on adults? Right now I'm focusing on young adults. So probably out of school and up. If my clients hear this, (laughs) they're going to feel a certain way about it. But 
it's hard sometimes to deal with parents. I understand parents and I understand my client and my client is my client. That's my priority. And sometimes when there's a financial hand involved or there's a, why don't they just do this? Why can't you just make them do this? You know, that becomes really hard for my client's journey and for my journey with the client because I collaborate. I'm in it, heart, soul, and mind. And so I love adolescence. They are so smart right now. It's scary. I love college kids or uh, young adults. So smart. But I want to make sure that I'm doing right by my client. And there are just some people who can navigate those relationships a little easier. For me, it's also triggering. I'm also a human being. And as a therapist, if we're ever triggered, we have to look inside and make the determination, is it the right relationship or not? That's the ethical thing. So um, I do have a couple uh, young adults in college, and they're teaching me. But uh, for the most part, it's probably right out of college through, again, I mentioned 80 years old. So what three tips or pieces of advice would you like to leave listeners with who are struggling with anxiety today? Because you're just full of great advice. Number one, educate yourself. Understand whether this is normal, normalize it, or it's something that's impacting your life and you need a therapist for. Again, social media has great content on it, but not everyone is a professional. I went to school. It was a very expensive therapeutic experience for me, and there's a lot of good professionals out there. So even if you don't stick with it, Go and check it out. Make sure you have someone put the stamp on it and say, this is what you need, or this is you know, something that you can manage through. So educate yourself. And also, education is important to normalize. That's part of acceptance. And realizing that what's happening is something neurological, is something maybe genetic-based, is something that can be helped with mindfulness tools and techniques that will calm your nervous system. Because, and again, you said this earlier, when you are just living in a narrative and in the dark and creating a story of what's happening with you, that is so much scarier than the reality of what's happening. That's why education is part of my treatment plan always. Get to know yourself. Get to know a lot of people have something similar, even though your story is unique, and realize that if it's in the books, it means there's also tools and techniques to help you. So educate, educate, educate. Second, mindfulness or nature or both. This is calming to the nervous system. Again, Vegas, but V-A-G-U-S. We want to calm it. We don't want you renting or buying or doing anything else in your nervous system. Get in, get out. And ways to do this, mindfulness. What's mindfulness? Because it's such a trending term right now. It's intentionally being present in the moment. I like to call it being awake in your life, waking up in your life. When I hear progress, I do this and I say, wow, you're awake in your life. Congratulations. P.S. Sometimes that comes with uncomfortable feelings. Being awake means you're not in denial. So all of the emotions, like in that movie, Inside Out, and they're all emotions have a personality. It means all of them are invited to your party. And not all of them feel good, but you're awake. So congratulations, right? Mindfulness and nature. Hard for people in a city, find a tree. Go touch the tree. Be mindful with it, right? So many different great mindfulness things to do. And finally, find a therapist or a community. Because again, the earlier point, connection. 
reach out and connect. Be very careful. Be protective of yourself because some people don't mean to invalidate, but they may not understand. And that could be very triggering. And because anxiety is comorbid with other things, the trigger could be intense. And so try to find a real and reasonable community of people that see you the second you sit down, whether it's virtual or in person. So those are the three that I would say. There's obviously others, but these are these are three good ones. Mm, that's fantastic. And yeah, you're so generous to have imparted us with so much of your wisdom. And thank you so, so much for joining us. And I would love to do a part two because I think you're absolutely fascinating and you put everything so succinctly. I would love that. Thank you for being honest with your journey. I am not just saying this. You are spot on. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258. Thank you.